All right, people, that is it. That is it. Happy, uh, happy Daylight Savings Day. Glad you're here. I also found out it's National Ranch Day, if anybody knew about that, Ranch Dressing Day. I don't think that's important at all. Whatsoever. Apparently it is. So, all right, good to see you. Glad you're here. My name's Jake, if I've never met you, and, uh, and uh, we're talking about a series we're doing right now called Name Changers, because uh, names are important. They really are. Names are important. When somebody remembers your name after they met you for the first time, that's significant. That communicates care. And, uh, you know, I had a, my former pastor I worked with for a long time named Mike Howerton. He had the gift of remembering just about everybody's name on the planet. I don't have that gift. Um, I can barely remember my own name um, when I'm going through life, and he does amazing. But when somebody does remember your name, that means a lot. We spend a lot of time with names. When you name your kids, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what is their name going to be. You want it to be perfect, something that nobody can make fun of, right? You, you think through that? Um, we named my kid uh, Paisley, our first kid. And then what you do is you spend all that time, and then you never call him that. So I call Paisley Noodle all the time. That's her nickname, just Noodle for no reason whatsoever, no significance. And all the time we spent trying to figure out her name, I don't even call her that hardly whatsoever. Uh, my sister, this is, okay, so this is real. Growing up, um, my sister got a nickname from my dad, um, and, uh, and the name, I'm halfway embarrassed to say it at this moment. My dad nicknamed my sister Poopstain when she was little. That's, uh, that's a real thing. Don't judge my family. Do not judge my family right now. Okay, named her apparently because that's what she does. She put, and so we made, called her Poop for short. That was her name. So we're like, hey, Poop, come here, Poop. You know, it's like a dog kind of a thing. Um, well, the old, what I remember with pure like clarity was the day when, um, when she got old enough to be able to say her name and some strange guy said, oh, sweetie, what's your name? And with all excitement, she said, poop, right? And she said that was her name. That was the day that my mom said, we will never call her that again. And so we haven't at this point in time, but uh, names are important. Nicknames have meaning. Ma names have intent. They have weight. And especially in God's word, when you look at the names in the Bible, they have weight. They have significance. And there's a few occasions, and it's amazing, where God actually takes certain individuals and he changes their name, right? They were known as this, but God says, I'm no longer going to call you this. I'm going to call you this because this is who you are. This is how I see you. And so my hope for this series and the reason we're walking through it is I want to look at these individuals, these few individuals. I want to look at their lives. I want to look at their names specifically and see if there's anything that we can learn, anything that we can pull from about our identity, about how God sees us and how God views us today. And so today, the guy we're going to jump and talk about is Saul. Very famous. Saul who became Paul. And he is very unique. He stands alone. He is unique among the others, and even those whose names got changed. So, and, here, and it's because of one detail, one simple detail. God didn't actually change Saul's name. God didn't change his name. Now, when you look at Abram to Abraham, God came down in physical form in Genesis 17, and he basically said, you will no longer be called 
Abram, exalted father, you're going to be father of nations, father of multitudes. You are Abraham. God spoke it and said, I'm changing your name. Last week, Garrett talked about Jacob and uh, how he wrestled with God. He physically wrestled with God and says, your name is no longer Jacob, deceiver. I'm calling you Israel because you wrestled with me and you have overcome. Next week, we're going to talk about Simon who became Peter. Jesus himself renamed him and said, you're no longer Simon, you are Peter, you are Petros, you are my rock. And he gave that as a declaration for the role that Peter would be playing coming up in the early church. And so truly, Saul stands alone, Paul stands alone. It is commonly misunderstood and most people assume that God changed Saul's name on the road to Damascus on his conversion. When he knocked Saul down with light in some shape or form and said, why are you persecuting me? The name that Jesus used was Saul. And then Ananias got into the equation and he called him Saul. This all happened in chapter nine of Acts. And basically all the way up to chapter 13, Saul is referred to as Saul, not Paul. And so the conversion did not happen on the road to Damascus. In fact, there is no reference whatsoever of God changing Saul's name to Paul inside of the Bible, which begs the question, who changed his name? Who changed his name? Because there is an obvious change. In Acts 13, or 9, chapter, or chapter 9, verse 13, this is the first time we hear the name Paul. Prior to that, it is all Saul. After that, it's all Paul. So there was an obvious name change. But the answer is tricky in who changed his name. Saul's name was also Paul. I'll explain. It was common in that day and in that culture to have dual names, two names. In Acts 13, it describes him as Saul, who, catch this, was also called Paul. He had dual names because he had dual citizenship. His parents were Jewish Pharisees, and so when he was born, they gave him the Hebrew name Saul. That was his original birth name, and he was proud of his heritage. He was proud. In fact, in Philippians, here's what he says about his heritage. He says, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of of Benjamin and a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strict obedience of the Jewish law, and so Saul was a Jew, but he was also born in the Roman city of Tarsus, which means that his father was a Roman citizen, and so he inherited Roman citizenship and was given a Latin name, Paul. That was his name. So when I was born, my name was Jacob. That's what I was born with. Everyone calls me Jake. Most people call me Jake. Kind of give a comparison here. Um, And so when I would see people at school and I would see people, you know, at my house, they'd call me Jake. But when I went over to my grandma's house, my grandma is full-fledged German, right? And she called me Jakob, right? She said, Jakob, get over here. Jakob, don't touch that. Jakob, knock it off, right? That's what she said all the time. She called me Jakob, so much so because she was the pioneer in our family that she was the one, like people in the family started to call me Jakob as well. And so whenever I was with that side of the family, when that area, that culture, I was known as Jakob, right? But everywhere else, I was known as Jake. And it's the same thing when it comes to Saul and Paul. Everywhere in Jerusalem, he was known as Saul. 
But the moment he stepped out of Jerusalem, that's where he became Paul. And I'll explain. Why in the world did he decide to go by his Roman name? Because he had been Saul his whole life. So why did he choose to lean into the name Paul? And scholars, theologians, historians, even myself, believe that the answer lies within his calling. It lies within his calling. And so we've said from the beginning of this series that we are who God says we are. You are who God says you are. You may have been called some names in junior high. You may have been called some names from your family. You've been called this or that. If it doesn't line up with who God says you are, then it's incorrect. We are who God says we are. And Paul was called the chosen instrument by God. God said, you are my chosen instrument. Right here, Jesus himself says, for Saul is my chosen instrument to what? To take the message, which is the gospel, to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles are basically anybody who was not a Jew at that time. And there are over two dozen references in the New Testament about Paul's calling as the apostle to the Gentiles. Two dozen. He himself said that God has appointed me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so we are who God says we are. And God said that you are an apostle, Saul. You are an apostle to the Gentiles. I want you to go. I want you to leave Jerusalem because our disciples, they're not doing it. So I'm going to send you out into the world because you're uniquely shaped. And so his calling was clear to the Gentiles. And so changing his name, catch this, Paul simply leaned into his calling. He leaned into his calling. Guys, it was strategic strategic for him to use the name Paul. He, once he understood his unique nature to go out to the Gentiles and share this good news, he dusted off his good old Roman name and he decided to use it. And then he went out there and so that the people who he talked to would be accustomed to hearing it. It allowed him to go in and to go out of places that he would otherwise not be able to go in and go out of because of his Roman name. He could speak to them in their native language and his name would literally make them at ease because he was one of them. So changing his name or leaning into his name was strategic on his part. Kind of a, gosh, a, kind of a great Sunday school cheesy way to remember this is Saul went by Paul because of the call right? Saul went by Paul because of his call. And here's how Paul himself says it. He says this. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why would he do that? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Saul, to win who? The Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, right? To win the weak. That's a lot of info, and he summarizes it in verse 22, basically saying this. I have become all things to all people so that by all means, and I love that, by all means possible, I might save some. That's what he's doing. That's why he leaned into his name, to become all things to all people. And if he's called to the Gentiles, he should use his Gentile name. 
should lean into that part of his life. My dad is a, is a great salesman. Um, he owns his own business. He actually owns a fire extinguisher business um, where he sells and surface, uh, services fire extinguishers. And when I was younger, I got the honor to go and to help him and to work with him. And, and so we would go, and I'd go to all the places that he went. And, um, and the, one of the places that we'd go was like the sawmill. And he actually grew up in a sawmill, or spent, not grew up, but he spent time, like 20 years of his life working in a sawmill. So he knew the language. He knew that type of people. And, and, and I actually spent time in a sawmill as well. And so when he'd go in there, he was amazing. He spoke the language of the sawmill men. And I'm just going to tell you, probably the best way to describe it is colorful, right? My dad would say words that I didn't even know were actually like, wow, I'm educated right now, right? And he would speak their language. Now, then, almost even on the same day, he would go over and he would head over to catch this, the church. And he spent time in a church and he'd go and he'd talk to the pastor and he wants to sell them extinguishers and he'd quote verses and it was amazing. And he would sell them extinguishers. My dad would do all things so, or become all things to all people so that he could sell them extinguishers, right? It was amazing. And it wasn't talking down to these guys over here. And it, I kind of at one point thought, is he being two-faced? No, he was using wisdom. He was leaning into his roots. And he knew that if he were talking to those guys inside the sawmill, if he was squeaky clean, they wouldn't listen to him, right? If he had that mentality. So he spoke their language. And when he came to the pastor, he spoke their language. And that is what Paul did. When he was around the Jews, he spoke in the name of Saul. When he was around the, the, the Gentiles, he spoke as Paul. He simply leaned into his Roman name, and Paul was leaning in there, and it's exactly what we need to do as well. We have the same calling on our life that Paul has. Truly, the same calling. There's a universal calling, which is to go and make disciples. It's the purpose of this church we are to leave. We are to be disciple makers. We are apostles. You may have thought that you're a nurse. You're not a nurse. You are an apostle described as a nurse. Or uh, um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Thank you, Garrett. You're the man. All right? You are disguised as a nurse. You may think that you are a, uh, um, you know, a programmer, but you're not. You're an apostle of Jesus Christ with the gospel to share as a programmer. You might think that you're a mom or a dad and that's your title. It's not. You are an apostle of Jesus Christ disguised as a mom or as a dad to reach people for the gospel, including your kids. And so we have the same call as Paul. And that is simply that we need to go out and make disciples. And you know what? To be honest, we've kind of lost the urgency, haven't we? The reality is we've lost the urgency. I don't know about you, but I remember when I first got saved, one of the very first things that I wanted to do is I wanted to go tell my buddies. I could not wait to go tell my buddies what Jesus had done in my life. He had changed my life. Holy crap, man, this is true. You got to hear this. And I could not wait to go talk to them. There was an urgency. And you see that sense of urgency in Paul's letters. And you see that sense of urgency inside of his life. And so we all have this unique, or this, sorry, this, this universal calling to go and to make disciples and to, you know, to go out to the Gentiles and tell them about the good news. But we also have, each of us, a specific calling. Like Paul, we're shaped, we are wired uniquely 
in our individual personalities and the opportunity God gives us, and he wants us to embrace that, to find out what he put us on this planet to do. Our DNA friends are screaming out for that, for us to lean into our specific calling. And you might be thinking, like, well, what is my specific calling? And the answer is, I don't know. I can't tell you. Only you can figure out what your specific calling is. You have to discover that. Garrett talked about this last week. It's, it's asking God, what is my unique name? And really, all you gotta do is you gotta pray, and I promise you, God will show you if you spend time seeking him on this. You know how I know that? Is because he's been preparing you for it your entire life. And that's another thing we learn from the life of Paul is this, is that God prepares you to be the person that he's called you to be. God is preparing you to be the person that he's called you to be. God was preparing Paul, catch this, and Paul didn't even know it. This is so fascinating to me. At 13 years old, Paul was sent to Palestine to study under the famous rabbi Gamaliel. And he learned from him Jewish history. And he learned about the prophets. And he learned about the Psalms. And for about six years, what he did is is he memorized scripture and he dissected scripture, and he learned the art of communication. Paul is a phenomenal communicator, and he mastered the style of question and answer teaching, a a style known then as diatribe. And he mastered this. This method of communication was used to help rabbis to debate and to defend the finer points of Jewish law at that point in time. But what Paul did, and what God did, is he used that style and that education to write the letters inside of the Bible. That was Paul's number one method for which he wrote and for which he spoke. Paul was amazing. Eventually, Paul became a lawyer. Did you know that? Some of you are like, wait, Paul became a lawyer? Ah, that's why people wanted to kill him. Makes sense. I got it. But Paul was on this path to become a member of the Sanhedrin, like truly prestigious. This is a Jewish supreme court. Only 71 men in the entire area would be allowed to do this and they would take care of all the Jewish way of life. He was the top of his class. He would have been the valedictorian. He was brilliant and he was ambitious and he was on his way onward and upward in his, in his life. He was gonna be esteemed. He already was esteemed and prestigious, but then something happened. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and all those skills, everything that he had been trained to do and all of his experiences and all those gifts were redirected for God's glory. They were redirected for the unleashing of the gospel. God was preparing Paul to be an apostle that he called him to be, and Paul didn't even know it. Some of you have heard of a guy named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a legal journalist he studied law at Yale is what he actually did. And, uh, and he was brilliant, just like Paul, brilliant man. He was an atheist, didn't believe in God, didn't believe there was a God. And then the worst thing in his life that could possibly happen happened. His wife became a Christian, right? And ruined his life is what he said, ruined his life. He was super frustrated because all of a sudden she's going to church on Sundays and she doesn't want to stay out late. And so what he decided to do, which is crazy, he decided that he was going to take all of his education, his law degree at Yale and his legal journalism, and he was going to prove Christianity false. 
That's what he set out to do. And so um, he didn't think that Christianity could up be, like, uphold itself under the laws of legal journalism. So he went for it. And he interviewed all these people, 13 people, historians, doctors, physicians, theologians. He went out and he interviewed them. And he asked them very difficult questions. And what he discovered and what happened when he did this was he discovered that the evidence was overwhelmingly in favor of Christ's reality. And in 1991, Lee Strobel became a Christian. And in 19, uh, sorry, not 1991, in 1997, he went and wrote a book about his journey, about all that went down in these interviews that he had and how it changed his mind and how he moved this direction. And, and truly, here's what's nuts. He wrote this book and no one would publish it. Nobody would publish it. He went to publisher after publisher after publisher. And finally, a publisher said they would do it. And it sold millions upon millions upon millions of copies. And it has helped millions upon millions upon millions of people. And I'm one of them. They didn't want to take a risk on an unknown, an unknown guy. But they did. And look at how God used him. He used Lee Strobel and all of his training back at Yale and all of his training and his journalism thing, and um, he used it for the kingdom. Friends, each of us, each of us are born with raw materials. We're born with a temperament. We're born with gifts and desires, and we've had experiences. Some are good and some are bad, but when we lay our lives down for Jesus Christ, he takes all of that and he uses it for his glory. Some of you are naturally gifted. Naturally gifted. In fact, we're all gifted at something. Some of you are naturally gifted to care for others. Your empathy level is through the roof. When someone's in pain, you almost practically feel that pain. God wired that inside of you and he wants to use that. Some of you are naturally gifted to make money. I'm unfortunately not one of those people, right? You're a natural entrepreneur. You do it naturally. What would so hard for people, it just comes to you. And you're able to make money, and God doesn't want you to come down and be a pastor. He wants you to use that gifting for his kingdom. Some of you are natural communicators. Like, you could come up here and you could speak circles around me because you were just given that gift. John Boyd, when he jumps on a microphone, he's naturally funny. It's ridiculous. I wish I could be as funny as John Boyd. It's amazing what he can do when he gets on a microphone. God has gifted him in that way to be a communicator. He's wired that way, and God wants to use that. Artistically, some of you are artistic. Like, what you can do with a pencil, what you can do with a paintbrush, what you can do with a computer, somebody could take, you could do it in a half an hour. Somebody could try the rest of their life to do what you did and you can do it like that because you're naturally bent that way. That's how God made you and he wants to use that. Some of you are visionary, some of you are executors, some of you are athletic, some of you are strategic, some of you are relational. It's who you are and God wants you to lean into that so that he can use that for his glory. The great philosopher Popeye said it best. He said, I am what I am, and that's all what I am. And guess what? That's enough. Some of you are here today just so that you can hear God say, you're enough. 
You're enough. He wired you that way. And you've been thinking, but Jake, I'm really not good at anything. I really don't have any skills. I don't know about that. But Jake, I'm, I, I don't know enough. What if somebody asks me a question about the Bible and I don't know what to say? But Jake, I'm too old. Or But Jake, I'm too young. Or But Jake, I, I've made mistakes. But what about, and, but if you only knew, and but I just, hear me, please. Don't let your big butt get in the way, right? <laughs> Seriously, but I can't, but I'm not, but I won't. One of the biggest truths that you could take away from Paul's life is this. Your past doesn't disqualify you from your calling. Your past, whatever you've done, does not disqualify you from your calling. If God could save Paul, there is hope for us. Seriously, Paul, you might think your life is pretty bad. And Paul, early on, man, it was... Paul's much worse, much, much worse. He was present and probably overseeing the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was, uh, was, was a saint, was one of the first Christians, and he was stoned to death, and Paul just sat there and watched and orchestrated and held the coats. Paul was determined to destroy Christianity. He was ruthless in his pursuit, and here's what's nuts. He actually believed that what he was doing was on behalf of God. Friends, that is arguably one of the most frightening individuals that you will walk into is a religious terrorist. Someone who believes that they are doing the will of God and killing innocent people. That's exactly who Paul was. He was a religious terrorist. Acts 8 says this. It says, he, being Paul, began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women he put them in prison. Paul believed so strongly in his religious roots that he murdered people in God's name and he thought he was doing the right thing. And so if you think that your past is bad, you just need to know Paul was worse. After Damascus, after Jesus ran into Paul and his life was changed, this is nuts, Paul tried to meet with the disciples. Did you know that? He tried to go and to see them and to connect with them because he wanted to be around those who knew Jesus. But Peter and the rest of the crew were freaked out. Here's what it says, Acts 9. When he, being Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Friends, they thought it was a trap. They thought that what Paul was doing was to lure them in so he could take them out. Paul's reputation was so bad, so horrific, so evil, that these great men of God were scared of him. Imagine today, right? Let's just imagine that Osama bin Laden is still alive. And he gave us a call. And he said his life has changed. He'd like to come to church next week, right? And I just let you know, Osama bin Laden is coming to church next week. I can tell you right now, we would have low attendance next week if that was the case. In fact, I would ask Garrett to speak is what would actually happen on that day. Because we're already freaked out, right? A known killer, known murderer who hates Christians is coming into this place. We'd be scared. That's who Paul was until Jesus got a hold of his life. 
Jesus got a hold of his life. How amazing is our God that could pull a 180 on a guy like that, right? You can't outrun God's love if he's really pursuing you. You just can't. It's the greatest turnaround story in all of history, and I, would, I could easily argue that no one person outside of Jesus Christ himself has had a greater impact for the gospel and for Christianity than Paul. Easy argument. Let's just look at the Bible itself. The New Testament has 27 books. How many of them did Paul write? 13. Hebrews, right? Is, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but a lot of scholars believe that that could have been Paul. So therefore, he could have written over half of the New Testament books. Now, Luke actually owns the honor of having the lion's share of content of the New Testament. He wrote the, the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. But guess what? Guess who mentored Luke? Paul. Paul took him on a missionary trip. Paul was his pastor. Paul invested into Luke. And in fact, over half of Acts, chapters 9, or 13 through 28, is about Paul's life. And so much of the New Testament that we have is either from Paul that he wrote it, or it's about Paul. My point is this. If you take Paul out of the New Testament, you've lost most of the New Testament. That's the type of impact that this man had. That is a type. Few have had this type of impact. You can't take the father of Israel away and not think about Abraham, right? You can't think about the father of Israel and not think about Abraham. You can't think of the exodus from, from Egypt without thinking about who? Moses. The birth of the United States. You can't think about George Washington, right? The emancipation of slaves. What name goes with that? Abraham Lincoln, civil rights movement. Who can you not forget when you talk about the civil rights movement? Martin Luther King. You cannot take Paul out of Christianity. He is that essential. He played that big of a part. Everything changed when it came to Paul. When he surrendered his life, he literally changed history. He is the greatest theologian, the greatest evangelist, the greatest church planner that has ever existed. Yes, he started off on the wrong foot. Badly, right? In a big way, he started off on the wrong foot. But catch this, God still used him. And that's what I'm trying to say, is that your past Whatever you've done does not disqualify you from God's call in your life. It just doesn't. No one is too far gone. No one is beyond hope. Whatever you have done, there is still hope. I heard a pastor say this, and I loved it. If you're not dead, then God's not done with you. Truly. I'll conclude here. Paul's name, his name change, reflects his life change. It reflects what happened in his life with Jesus. But do you know what his name actually means? Does anybody know? Little man, little, small. There's another nursery rhyme for you. Paul, small, that's what it means. That's what it means. It seems ironic, seems backwards, does it not? He had this incredible impact, probably the biggest impact outside of Jesus that anyone has ever had, and he's called Little, small. 
But check this out, because this is amazing. Very few people notice this when they study Paul and his life, and they read through the passages of scripture, is that Paul's view of himself changed throughout his ministry. In the very beginning of his ministry, he referred to himself as the least of all the apostles. That's what he called himself. I'm the least of all the apostles. And at first, that seems kind of humble, right? You're like, oh, he's the least. But catch this. He's the least of the disciples. Like he's number 13, right? There's the rest of the world, and I'm in 13th place right now. That's what he's saying. And so it's not as humble as it sounds. It's almost borderline prideful in what he was saying there. But check out the middle of his life. He says he's a persecutor of the church is how he described himself. I'm a persecutor of the truth, the church, which is true. That's what he was. But at the end of his life, do you know how he described himself? He says, I am the worst of all sinners. I am the chief of all sinners. The closer Paul grew to Jesus, the more he realized just how great, how glorious, how big he is. And in contrast, he realized how small he was. And it humbled him as he grew in his ministry. He became more humble and humble. In fact, that's another definition for Paul's name is humble. Because when he saw Jesus, it became clear and he had this great need for the cross. It's the same thing for us. The closer we get to Jesus, here it is, our identity gets clearer as we grow closer to Christ. Our identity gets clearer as we grow closer to Christ. As we grow as Christians, we have more and more and more appreciation for the cross. When I first came to know Jesus, I had appreciation. As I've gotten older, I have so much more appreciation and I anticipate that's gonna keep going and going. I see some of these wise old men and women and what do you notice about their character if they followed Christ for all this time? Humility. They have this incredible amount of humility. And I don't think that that appreciation of the cross is going to stop once we enter into eternity. I think it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger the longer that we're in heaven. Paul said this. He actually wrote a verse for us. I don't know if you know that. He wrote a verse just for us. Here's what it is. It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here it is, of whom... I am the worst. He says, I am the chief of all sinners. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me. As a prime example, I love that. It's exactly what we're doing today. He is the prime example that we're talking about of what? Of God's great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others, there you are, that's who he's talking about. He's talking about us, others. We are the others. Then others will realize that they, that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Friends, that is the good news. That is the great news that Paul literally gave his life for. Not just that he lived for, he gave his life for. God is who he says we are. Sorry, we are who God says we are. We are who God says we are. And if you know Jesus, that means you're his kid. That means you've been adopted into the family. That means God smiles at you. And some of you might think, well, you know what? God doesn't smile at me. I don't feel like God smiles at me. No, he does. Because you're his kid. 
I still do this. I don't know if you guys do this. When you had little kids or you, maybe you have them right now, I still go in their room and I'll sit on their bed and you know what I'll do? I'll watch them breathe. I'll just sit there and I'll watch their chest go up and then go back down. And when you first were a parent, you eyeballed that thing, right? Like, you know, when your kid came home, you're just like, are they still breathing? Are they still breathing, right? Now I just go in and I sit there and it's amazing. It's probably because it's the only time Percy's quiet is the time like when that happens there. But, but truly to watch them breathe up and down. And you know what goes through my mind? They're my kid. There's a huge smile. There's pleasure just because they're mine and God gave them to me. And we think sometimes that what we have to do is that we have to perform or we have to do this or do that. We have to read the Bible more. We have to pray more. We have to go to church more. We're gonna have to feed the hungry. We have to do these activities in order to please God and to have him smile on us. No, if you are a child of his, he smiles on you already. And you're like, well, how could he do that? Well, he can only do that because of the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he's given for us. He's made it so that we could have a way into right relationship with him. And that is worth getting excited about. Again, that's what Paul gave his life for. We are who God says we are. And what God says through the work of Jesus Christ is that you're worth it. That's what he says. You are worth it. Let's pray.